Welcome to Trial Lawyer Review. My name is Jason Lazarus, your host. This podcast is for and about trial lawyers. We'll tell the stories of trial lawyers who go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. And this will be about their stories and about their practices. Trial Lawyer Review is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services, Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues at settlement, like healthcare lien resolution, Medicare secondary payer compliance, public benefit preservation, and complex settlement planning. In full disclosure, I'm not a professional podcaster. My day job is the CEO of Synergy Settlement Services. Uh, my guest today is a close friend, someone I've worked with uh, for 20 years and a great trial lawyer, Nathan Carter. Nathan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. And so I want to start out with a little bit about you. I, I know that you've kind of lived all over as you're growing up. Can you talk about your experiences and how they shaped you? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I have lived all over. So it's, it's funny uh, when somebody asks me where I'm from, I always kind of struggle to answer that. Um, because I was born, uh, I was actually born in Georgia. My parents were living in Florida, and unfortunately, we're up in Georgia when I was born. So I've always had to say I was born in Georgia. Uh, otherwise, I would have been like a fourth generation Floridian. So, um, and then we um, moved. We lived in Florida for a couple of years, and then when I was little, probably three, we, my dad was a teacher. We moved to Mexico and lived in a little village in Mexico for a couple of years. And as a kid, you pick up Spanish, so quickly, you know, because you're, that's, you're immersed in it. So I, I spoke fluent Spanish as a little kid. I wish I had retained it, but I didn't. Then we moved to New York, lived in New York for a couple of years, um, then moved to North Dakota, uh, lived in North Dakota for almost eight years. Uh, absolutely just brutal. I still keep uh, Jamestown, North Dakota on my weather app so I can check it and just remind myself that I'm just lucky to not be in 30 below weather. Um, but it was a fun as a kid because you, you can't get in trouble. You can go wherever you want. Played hockey. You know, it was, it's a fun place to live. Lived in North Carolina. Went to college in North Carolina. Went to law school in Georgia. Now I've been in Orlando for 20-something years. <clears throat> so, yeah, I've, I've lived all over. But I think it helps you um, or it's helped me kind of learn how to deal with different kinds of people, you know. Um, you get clients from all over uh, from different socioeconomic backgrounds and different lifestyles and stuff like that. So it's... I'm kind of used to talking to different people, and I think I can pretty much, you know, be friendly and, and converse with anyone from anywhere, and I think part of that's just from living everywhere and meeting lots of different people. Well, I would think adapting as you move into different places. I know when we moved from New Jersey to Florida uh, in 1980, so a long time ago, uh, that was a difficult transition. I would imagine if you're moving around like that, that's got to be in one of those situations where you've got to you've got to assimilate and try and fit in, and that's that's not always easy when you're younger. Yeah, um, we've moved now that I'm you know an adult and got my own kids. We moved from Lake Mary to Winter Park, and my wife was worried about that, and I was like, that. <laughs> <laughs> the kids can handle it. They're very resilient. I mean, I moved from North Dakota to North Carolina. That was you know right in between middle school and high school, which is probably the worst time to to move, but. It ended up being great, and I kind of think things happen for a reason, and I've always felt that way. You know, I didn't get in. Uh, when I was in high school in North Carolina, um, a bunch of my best friends went to Chapel Hill, 
because it's actually easier to get in Chapel Hill in the state than out of state. So all my best friends were older than me, and they all went to Chapel Hill. And then I didn't get into Chapel Hill because um, I wasn't a great student in high school. And then um, completely bummed out, completely depressed, you know, ended up going to UNC Charlotte. But it, I ended up clerking for a law firm there, and that's why I went to law school. And I think, so I've always kind of told people that, you told my son that, you never really know. You think something's bad at the time, it can be important, it can, you know, things happen for a reason. So it, it worked out great that I didn't get, get in there, because who knows what would have, you know, what would have happened. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, because I, I went to law school based on some advice I got from a, a close friend and advisor when I was trying to figure out what to do when I was coming to the end of my undergraduate career as a psychology major, which you don't have too many options. You either got to go on and get a, a PhD and, and become a psychologist or or go in a different direction. I went in that different direction simply because I got some some good advice in the end about, you know, what what I might find interesting as a career. So I'm, I'm really blessed that I wound up going down that path. So the law firm that you clerked for when you were in undergrad, what, what type of uh, firm was it? And what, what was it about that experience that led you go to law school? So, yeah, that was really lucky, man. That when I look back, that was so, when you look back at things, you see little things that happened that kind of were a fork in the road and pushed you the right way. I got so lucky. Um, I was going to college. I was at UNC Charlotte. Um, played a little bit of tennis there one season and was close with all the guys. And I was probably the worst player on the team. But um, my good friend, Randall Phillips, who you may know, he's a plaintiff lawyer in Charlotte. Um, Randall was on the tennis team, was a friend of mine. He was a year ahead of me. And he was going uh, to go off to law school, actually. And um, he had a job clerking at a plaintiff's farm in Charlotte. And he said, hey, you want me to hook you up with this job? And I said, sure. I didn't really think anything about it. So I interviewed, it's a really, it was a really, really top plaintiff firm in downtown Charlotte. I didn't know anything. I had no relatives that were lawyers. I never knew a lawyer growing up. Um, my whole family was teachers and stuff like that. I kind of thought maybe I'd go into teaching and coaching and stuff like that. So I got this job at this firm in Charlotte. Um, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because two of the younger guys there um, Andy and Steve were like young associates. So they're probably 25, 26. They're right out of law school. I'm still in college. I ended up hitting it off with them. Still, they're two of my best friends to this day. They were in my wedding. I talked to Andy still all the time. Really good, became really good friends. And they were kind of like big brothers because I looked up to them. They're already lawyers and, you know, making money and out of school. So I really looked up to them. They were pivotal, pivotal in me going to law school because I was just in college, didn't know what to do. Saw these guys having fun, you know, trying cases, making a bunch of money, helping, you know, they, it was just a really cool, they had a really cool brick building in downtown Charlotte. The guy that owned the firm, Jim Chandler, was one of, he was like the Chris Searcy of North Carolina at the time. Total badass. He was in special forces in Vietnam, was a pro golfer. Everything he did, he was great at. Great lawyer, great tennis player, everything he did, he's good at. He had a really cool brick building in downtown Charlotte that he spent a fortune. He was a big antiques collector, so he really tricked it out with antiques and oriental rugs. And he gutted the whole basement of the law firm and turned it into the best, like, man cave you've ever seen. It had, foos <laughs> it had foosball, every game, you pool, ping pong, arcade, everything you could think of. So we literally spent, we'd work all day, then we'd go down there and have drinks at night and play nonstop, you know, and everybody was super competitive at ping pong, you know, there's tons of gambling down there. 
putting on a little, he had a putting surface. Um, so they were a fun group. And they, when I look back on it, they totally, like we have clerks in our law, law firm that I'm friendly with, but these guys would take me on trips. Like we went uh, whitewater rafting in West Virginia several times. He took me on golf trips. Jim really took me under his wing, took me everywhere, taught me a lot, told me to go to law school, wrote letters for me. Great guy. He, um, a couple of years ago, got pancreatic cancer and passed away, and it really, really bummed me out because he was a super, super cool guy, and that's the, the whole reason I went to law school is because of those guys. Well, completely different experience from when I clerked. I mean, I was doing, you know, the, the typical insurance defense firms, and actually learned a lot because I, I did a lot of work, but it certainly wasn't, wasn't an experience like that. I can see how, you know, that kind of an experience uh, makes you, makes you long for that type of practice. So I, I know that you've practiced in several firms. Can you talk about your professional experience and kind of what got you to where you are? Sure. Um, I've been, I think I've been lucky in that regard too, at least the way I see it. Um, so I went to law school at Mercer um, which is weird. You know, what I said earlier about things happen for a reason. You and I are the same age, roughly. And I, when I was at UNC Charlotte, I really wanted to go to Stetson was my top choice. Um, and, cause I had family in St. Pete and I, you know, it had a great trial reputation and then Florida state too. And you used to buy those, you know, that was before the internet. So you remember those books we used to buy and you could see, um, you could find your GPA and your LSA, LSAT, and then you could go across and see how many yeah. people applied, how many got in. And that's yeah. how you figured out where to go. So I looked at Stetson and FSU, and with my GPA and LSAT, I thought I got a really good chance of getting into Stetson, and I, and I should get into Florida State. So I applied, and for some reason that year, there was something crazy at Florida State. I got um, waitlisted. I guess they let everybody in really early. And I talked to several people years later and found out about this, that, that, that something weird happened. So I got waitlisted at Florida State, didn't get in Stetson, even though the numbers really showed I should have. I still never figured that out. So kind of the last, literally the last minute, um, I'm looking around. I'm like, shit, what am I going to do? So I applied to Mercer, had never been there, sight unseen, no internet back then. And the pamphlet for Mercer <laughs> was really misleading and it made it look like it was in Atlanta because they had a big picture of Atlanta on the cover and they talk about how many. So I get into Mercer like two weeks before I have to go to law school. I pack up my Jetta and drive down there and I'm coming from Charlotte. So I get to Atlanta and I'm, I've got the directions printed. Out. I'm like, wait a minute, why am I still driving? You know, I'm driving, driving. Like, <clears throat> an hour and a half later, I'm in Macon. I'm like, what the hell? Nobody told me this was in Macon. Um, but it ends, it ended up working out. So Went to Mercer at Macon. Um, I clerked for a couple firms while I was in school. Um, not my first year, but second and third year, I clerked for a plaintiff firm in, uh, in Macon. Um, and then right when I got out of school, my first job was in a firm in Savannah. It had offices in Savannah and St. Simons, and they were a plaintiff firm. So I've always done plaintiff PI, which is weird. Um, almost everybody I knew you know, started at a big defense firm. I applied at a couple of the big Atlanta firms, but I never really liked Atlanta and didn't want to go with the big, big firm and Bill Hours. I had some roommates that did that that were miserable. So I've been lucky. So I worked at a really good plaintiff's firm in um, Brunswick. They were in Brunswick, St. Simon, Savannah for two years. Um, my wife, Jen, who you know, was a lawyer. She went. I met her at Mercer. And that's what I was saying earlier, how things happen for a reason. I was completely distraught that I didn't get in Florida State or Stetson and I 
you know, did Mercer at the last minute, but it turned out it worked out because that's where I met Jen. And, you know, I wouldn't be married to her or have the three kids I have if I hadn't gone to Mercer. So that was lucky. So I was in Georgia for a couple of years at a plaintiff firm, fun, tried a lot of cases, had a huge caseload. Um, it was kind of a volume practice in Georgia, but really good lawyers. And I learned a lot working there because I literally, I mean, um, you know, they handed me 135 cases, auto cases, right when I got there, brand new lawyer. Wow. You know, they said, go take these depositions. And I don't know about you, but at Mercer back then, there wasn't any like practical class on what is it, how to take a deposition. Yeah. I had no clue how to take a deposition or what I was supposed to do. And when I look back at it, it just must have been hilarious sitting for, for my first depot. So they threw me into the fire. Um, but I learned a lot, tried a lot of funny cases. And then um, moved to Florida. I had a bunch of buddies um, in Orlando. So I wanted to get to Florida. Jen wanted to get out of South Georgia because it was not really a progressive uh, society there. So we ended up in Orlando and I worked for um, Nolan Carter was the first guy I worked for. Really good med malware. Everybody thought he was my dad because he was the age that could have been the same age as my dad. And our names are very similar. So every judge would say, how's your dad doing? And I got tired of saying he's not my dad. So I, I finally just started saying my dad's fine. My dad's <laughs> doing great. And just, you know, let them think that. And then I worked with, um, I learned a lot from Nolan, did a lot of med mal um, and learned med mal from him. He was one of the best. And then I went with Terry Griffin. And Paul Linder, who you know, which was great. They were great guys. Um, Richard Wright was there for a while. Dana Hoffman, a lot of you know Mo Hoffman. You remember him? Um, a lot of good good guys that I learned from. And then uh, was buddies with some of the guys at Morgan, at the Morgan firm. This was probably in the late '90s. I was talking with them, and ended up I think around right before the right before 2000, joining the Morgan firm to do nursing home with um, Mel and Xander. And that's when nursing home was really a big deal in Florida. So that was a good opportunity to go over there. And Terry was kind of retiring at the time. So it was good to get out of there um, and go over with the Morgan guys. And you know, that was like a big fraternity. That was fun. Uh, did all, mostly nursing home work over there for several years, but we had a blast over there. And so, and what was it like to, to leave an established firm like that and kind of strike out on your own with some of the the kind of founders of that firm. I mean, that must have been kind of a scary but exciting time. I would I would imagine it was. And when I look back, it was way riskier than I realized. Um, <laughs> I might not have done it knowing how risky it was now in hindsight, but at the time, I just thought it was a good idea because I trusted Stuart and Ron so much and Mel. Um, so that was 2005. We left. So I was. 35 years old, um, had two kids. Jen was pregnant with our third kid. So really that was kind of crazy and risky. Um, Stuart and well, really Stuart came to me first, I think, and said, Hey, we're thinking about leaving. Um, we'd like you to consider coming with us. It was just going to be Stuart and Ron and Mel and me and Jay. I forgot Jay came with us. Um, so we had some meetings and talked about it, and they laid out their plan and what they wanted to have us. You know, at the time at, uh, at Morgan, we were doing a lot of national stuff nationwide. John was big on moving nationwide and had assigned a lot of us different states to work in, which is a great idea. I mean, in hindsight, it was he was a, a genius for doing that, and it worked out for him. Um, 
But these guys wanted to focus more on just being a regular, you know, Orlando and Florida firm and not do out-of-state stuff. And I also thought I had more upside going with them than I would ever have at the Morgan firm. Um, so I just went with them. I kind of did it on a, you know, on a gamble and thought it would work out, and it did. It didn't work out the way, I, you know, things happen, of course, with Stuart passing away, and that, that was a complete shock, and I still think about him every day. Um, and it's amazing that we overcame that and continued to thrive because a lot of firms, I think, would have fallen apart with one of the main principal partners passing away so suddenly like that. He was only, when I think back, he was only 49 at the time when that happened, which is crazy. Yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget that, that day and hearing about it and his funeral. Yeah, I, I don't even know how you pick up the pieces from an experience like that as, you know, one of the principles of the firm. But I mean, you guys certainly have, have persevered and, and obviously the firms continued to grow. What, what is the focus of Colin Gilbert, Wright and Carter's practice? And what, what do you guys kind of see on the horizon for your future of your firm? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, we kind of do everything now we have, I think 13 or 14 lawyers total. Um, we just lost one and hired one. So I think we're around 12, 13, 14 lawyers. Um, we kind of do everything, uh, you know, we have guys and women lawyers that have specialties. So they, we try to not get too heavy in any one practice area where we could really go down if, you know, like some real estate firms in town that are all real estate and the market crashes, it, it blows up their firm. So we've tried to always be cautious of that and try to have several different practice areas going at once. And we try to keep an eye on things. That's one thing that we definitely learned from the Morgan firm or that I learned is John was, as you know, an amazing businessman and he really kept an eye on the business side of stuff. And I've worked, as I told you before, at several plaintiff firms. And when I got to Morgan, I was shocked by all the business stuff that that, that firm paid attention to that I had never even been at a firm where anybody even thought about that kind of stuff. I mean, when I was at other firms, the lawyers just kind of worked on their cases and they assumed new cases come in the door. And we never, I was never at a firm where we would have a meeting and go over intake. You know, what, what are we paying to get each case? What does each case settle for? What's the average fee? You know, that kind of like numbers analysis. I had never done that before at a firm. So we, I learned that at Morgan. Not that I was in on that <clears throat> that heavy at Morgan, but then when Stuart and Ron left, we would have meetings every quarter to analyze the business, not just the legal side of it. So we really learned a lot um, paying attention to the business side of things. So we're still really careful about that at our firm. We sit down every quarter, go over our budget, um, look at our practice areas. We see stuff that, like we have a securities lawyer who just does securities cases and that kind of goes up and down with the market. When the market's doing well, nobody wants to sue their broker. Yeah. When the market's down, you get more of those cases where, you know, some broker took an 80 year old lady and put all of her money in some variable annuity or something risky. So those, those cases kind of ebb and flow with the market. Then we have um, Vanessa who does a lot of VA benefits cases, which a lot of firms don't do. A lot of lawyers don't do. And they're really hard. They're time consuming. You don't always get fees, but you, you meet a lot of good clients who need you then when they have a car wreck or a med mal case. So it's kind of a, not a loss leader, but it's a, it's a way to get other kind of cases. Um, so we're, we're really, we do, you know, med mal products, nursing home, auto, all the kind of general PI stuff that most firms do, but we're constantly keeping an eye on 
what we think is going to happen, and we try to move resources and lawyers into areas that we think are growing versus shrinking, which is hard because you can never, like who could have guessed this pandemic would happen and there'd be, you know, 50% less car wrecks and 50% less people on the road and, you know, less work comp injuries because there's no work going on. So that stuff like that can throw anybody off. But we've been lucky. We've kind of uh, sustained how we were and not taken too many losses like some firms have. But um, I think that's just from being careful and keeping an eye on things, to be honest. It's funny, you know, a lot of a lot of lawyers, I think, are are not really trained in business, right? I mean, unless you happen to be a, a business major and undergrad, which I was not. And it's a shame that they really don't teach much in law school about business because, you know, a lot of us as lawyers wind up truly running a business. A law firm is a business just like, you know, any other business and you've got to keep an eye on it. And it's, it's good that you guys have kept that focus coming from that background because I think there that that's few and far between from you know the experiences I've had with law firms in terms of how they're run but truly it, it is one of those things where you do have to keep an eye on where things are going especially these days now with everything that's happened it, it's it's impacted everyone across the board no matter what you do so it's good that you guys have kept an eye on that uh, so I, I've got a uh, a personal question. I know that you've gotten into cycling. Um, you know, I've been an avid cyclist since I was 13 years old. What what was it that sort of made you want to get into the sport? Um, this is probably going to shock you, or it's such a weird reason. Um, of course, I represented you when you had your horrible bike wreck. Um, and I, at that time, had never cycled. I mean, I was familiar with it, and I have a lot of friends who do it, but... Um, Honestly, this is what kind of uh, counterintuitive when you represent a friend who gets in a horrific bike accident. But I saw how much you loved it. It, was, it shocked me that you got right back into it and got back as soon as you were healthy, got back and started riding again and loved it so much. And it actually made me think like if, if Jason got hurt this bad and I saw how horrible you were hurt and how it almost, you know, really could have ruined your life and it didn't. And you bounced back and kept riding. I thought he must really love this. And I even asked you. Um, you know, are you crazy? Why are you riding again? But you, you said you love it and you're going to keep doing it. So I, I actually thought to myself, well, he, you know, these guys that do this really love this. Maybe I should try it. So in a little way, you kind of inspired me to try it. And, and now I'm hooked on it. So, <laughs> wow, that's, that's, yeah, that's definitely, that was not what I was expecting. I, I, I did not expect you to say that. So, you know, it's funny because, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you a bit about since since you're my first guest on this new podcast was about the accent and you representing, you know, someone that you knew and, and that whole experience. But, you know, it's funny, um, you know, I when that accident happened, that that what went through my mind laying in the hospital bed, one of the many things was, you know, I I didn't want this to take something away from me that, you know, I I had done since I was 13 years old and, you know, had been all over the world riding and racing. And, and it was, you know, one of those things where it's just a part of you and it's something that you, you don't want to lose. And I remember after they got me out of bed doing laps in, um, 
in the ICU, which, you know, was, was a weird sight. They, you know, from what they told me, people don't usually do laps in the ICU. And I remember recording it on Strava, which for people that cycle or run know that that's, you know, that's how you record your, your activities and, and thinking to myself, I, I really want to get back out. I don't want to walk around this hospital floor. I want to get back out on my bike. Of course, it took, took a little bit of time to do that, but you know, one, of, one of my most vivid memories of that whole experience was you coming to visit me in the hospital and trying to communicate with you when you know, I had tubes down my throat, my jaw was wired shut. I, I think I was still on the ventilator at that point and um, you know, because they were worried about losing my airway and whatnot. How how do you as as a lawyer, you know, go into that situation? I mean, I know you you do it all the time because you, you've got to go see clients in that situation, but when it's somebody you know, how how does that differ or is it just, hey, it's you go into automatic mode and you're you know, you're, you're, you're in your role. Uh, no, that's, de there's definitely, you know, I think a lot of people would say it's the same, but it really isn't. I mean, I try, you try to think of every client like a friend or how would I want to treat a friend or a relative that's in this situation. But until you have a really good friend or relative that gets hurt like that, you don't know. So it's definitely different. Um, and I remember, come, I, I remember coming to see you and coming home and telling Jen, I was like, oh, my God, Jason's really, you know, this is not going to end well. I mean, because I've seen so many accidents and injuries like yours that didn't end nearly as well as yours did. So I, I, I vividly remember it, too, um, coming home and saying, man, Jason is really, really bad. Um, that, that rattled me. I don't like going to the hospital to see any, you know, client or friend because it's just upsetting. And if you're an empathetic person, it just really, I honestly have tried to, I've had a lot of really bad cases where I've had to go um, to hospitals to meet people, you know, like burn victims and people who've lost kids. And, you know, it's just, it's the worst, man, because you're seeing people at their absolute lowest, worst point. So if you care about people, it's really hard to do. Thanks for tuning in to Trial Lawyer Review. You can find more at triallawyerreview.com and look for more episodes and more content coming in the future.